Great. Well, it's good to pray, isn't it? Particularly thinking, um, glad you highlighted in that prayer, those people who are perhaps on the edge of society or in great need. And um, I don't know whether it's in the the news sheet for next week, but um, in case you didn't know, we have a special guest next week preaching. Uh, It's Chris Davis, who uh, heads up the City Mission in Southampton. So uh, that's a a way to kind of connect a bit with that ministry through um, uh, Basics Bank and in schools and so on. So do come next week when uh, Chris Davis will be like a a guest uh, preacher. Anyway, for today, we're we're looking into uh, the book of Philippians in the Bible. It's on page 1180. If you're going to be following it, I do encourage you to follow it in the passage got these new new bibles we might as well use them obviously (laughs) so yeah it's uh, philippians uh, chapter four and uh, we're thinking about the subject of joy this is our last kind of visit to uh, uh, spend some time with the philippian church as it were as they heard paul's letter to them and to sit where they sat a little bit and to hear what paul or what god by the holy spirit said to them through the apostle paul as he wrote this, this uh, letter. And this is about the long distance, really. Joy for the distance. Because joy, uh, as you may have noticed uh, through the weeks, absolutely kind of fills this letter uh, from the Apostle Paul, one of the early leaders in the New Testament church. He, he was uh, uh, around in, I suppose, AD, from about AD 40 to AD 60-something, when he was eventually actually executed in Rome. So very early days, and, and he knew this, this church in the uh, city of Philippi, a Roman city in, in the Greek province of Macedonia, and uh, he knew them. Uh, he had actually started the church there. He, he went to their city and started talking about Jesus, and people came to know him. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 16 if you want to. Uh, and this church that he'd known so well had sent him a gift. And one of them, a man called Epaphrodites, one of the members of the church there, had come along to visit Paul where he was in Rome under house arrest uh, and brought a gift with them and news of them. And, and the Apostle Paul, as he writes back to thank them for this gift, uh, he's heard that they're doing well. He's just writing back to encourage them. And uh, time and time again, joy kind of bubbles through everything he's saying. I think it's about 10 times there's some reference to joy or rejoice or joyful through this letter. So if you've got the NIV, that's what? That's more than one per column <laughs> as you look, at, look through um, that, that Bible there. It keeps kind of coming up. Now, this is quite surprising in some ways because... Paul himself, although he's writing full of joy, is not having a particularly easy time. He's in prison, probably, or at least if he's not in prison, he's under house arrest. He sits with the very real possibility of a death sentence. He talks about that in chapter 1. Uh, Epaphroditus, the man he knew well who'd come to visit him from the Philippians, had, uh, had got sick on, on the way or as a result of coming over and drinking Roman water or whatever it was. But anyway, he got really sick, so sick, in fact, that he nearly died. And that there were misunderstandings, although the Philippian church was going well, there were some things that slightly troubled him about them, as we thought last week. And, and where he was in Rome, there was a bit of local opposition and problems that he was facing. Big issues, huge issues, as well as uh, issues like 
he might die, as well as minor kind of irritants about people in Rome who were trying to kind of wind him up by you know, preaching uh, Christ and kind of in opposition to Paul. That was what he was facing. Now, joy is easy, isn't it, when things are going well? It's not hard to be joyful when everything's going brilliantly, when the sun's shining and all's going happily. But when we're limited, it's like Paul was in house arrest or in prison, when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, well, it's not so easy. Yet the Apostle Paul in this letter says, rejoice always. He says joy can kind of be part of our experience Whatever we're going through, whether it's easy or tough, whether we're at the beginning of the Christian life, when you, know, when you first become a Christian, you're so aware of the goodness of God in a fresh way. Sometimes, but also, it's also at all times, is it towards the end of your life? Have you been a Christian years and years and years? We can still be, should still be joyful. Sometimes we get used to things, don't we? And today we're thinking about joy for the distance, joy for the long haul. How do you get that? Where does that come from? Where does this joy kind of, kind of bubble up from? Or how do we get it? Or how do we live in it? Paul's encouraging the Philippians to find it. He talks of his own experience. So we're going to have a look at it now. And, and we're going to see actually that joy for the long haul comes from three places. Here's the first one, I thought, but it's not working. The first one is joy in the Lord. We're going to read from verse 4. Look at verse 4, down the bottom of page 1180. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you rejoice in the lord he says now i know lou talked about this last week and she reminded us that this phrase in the lord is also really common in the book of philippians what does it mean well look across to chapter 3 verse 7 just across the page there paul there talks about what he gained he considers lost for the sake of christ What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That's in the Lord, to be found in him. What's Paul talking about there? He's talking about knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's talking about gaining Christ. He's talking about being found in him. He's talking about getting to know God through Jesus, isn't he? He's talking about not being in the right with God because of what I do, but because of what God has done in Jesus, what we'll be celebrating later in communion. 
in the Lord is a description of knowing and loving Jesus, knowing him in our lives. It's the kind of being at home in what he's done in the Lord. I know if you go away, you know, you, you can have lots of addresses, but you've got like one home address, haven't you? That's kind of where your home is. And Paul is saying, my home address is in the Lord. It's in Jesus. It's, Jesus means so much to me. Jesus has done everything for me. I know him. I want him. I want to be found in him. That's where my identity is. That's where I belong, in the Lord. He's talking about, if you like, what you might call a position in Christ. But more than that, verse 5, as we saw last week, talks about the Lord being near. God works in you, we saw in chapter 2. So it's not just this kind of position, but Jesus' presence in my life. I know Jesus with me. He's promised to be with me. And he, not only is he kind of my home address, and, and like, you know, that if I'm away from home, so to speak, you know, he's there and I'm there. No, but he's with me all of the time. My home address, as it were, is with him. He is with me. Chapter 2 says, God is at work in you, he says. Here it says, the Lord is near. That's a place of joy for the long haul. Not only our position, but Jesus' presence with me. But even more than that, in the Lord is also about the Lord being near in the sense that we saw last week. When we looked at those verses in, uh, earlier in chapter 3, which talk about what? About this Savior from heaven who's going to come and complete our rescue. So our joy in the Lord comes from this promise that we're looking forward to, that as citizens of heaven, because we've been rescued, that will be completed one day when Jesus will transform us. And you know, that new life that we'll fully enter in then starts now. This is important. Let me get this out one last time. Here it is. You know what this is? Yeah, this is the, this is the illustration we've been using. See if I can make it go any further than Luda. Oh, look at that. Oh, around the corner. How about that? Okay. We've been looking at this illustration, haven't we? Uh, this represents uh, our life. And this represents, if we're believers, being in God's presence forever. This is eternity. And it goes on forever and ever and ever. We've been thinking about that. But if you look at this closely, handily up there on the screen, you'll see, see that? The point is, eternity starts, it comes into our life. When we become a Christian, when you turn to Jesus, Jesus said, whoever hears my words and believed in him who sent me has eternal life. And that, that knowledge of God, that sense, of that, that knowing we belong, that citizenship of heaven comes into our experience. It begins now and it goes on. And as we think about um, those that we miss, how do we know we'll be together one day? Because it started. We came into life when we trusted Jesus and that life will be eternal. And that promise, that, if you like, that gold bit in our life is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the down payment of our inheritance. It's the beginning of what God will complete and fulfill. 
We cross from death to life. Eternal life begins when we trust in Jesus. When, when believers die, we know that they enter into life. They are with Christ. But they're with Christ then because they've been with him now. That life goes on. And the great thing about being a Christian is that, that heaven touches us now. When we pray, what are we doing? When we worship, when the Holy Spirit touches our lives in different ways or uses gifts or gives us his grace, heaven comes into our experience. That's where joy for the long haul or for the distance comes from. In the Lord, our position, his presence in us, and the promise coming into our present experience. So how do we keep that sustained for the distance then? Well, verses 6 to 7 talk about, as we saw last time, not for us to be over-anxious, but prayerful. To be living in the Lord, because he's near. And he gives us God's peace. To keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Our hearts and minds. Ah, our minds. Mindset. How we think. That's something that's come up in Philippians before, hasn't it? Remember chapter 2? We heard about a, a serving mindset. We should be like Jesus who emptied himself. Paul says to them, you, your mindset should be like Jesus as he served. Won't go back into that, but you can listen to it in the past uh, online. A serving mindset. But also in chapter 3, verses 19 to 20, uh, last week we were looking at how uh, some people are like uh, enemies of the cross. Uh, at the end of verse 19, their mind is set on earthly things. But verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there. That's what Lou was talking about last week. A mindset on earthly things is compared with a mindset that says, we're, wait, we, we're citizens of, of heaven. We belong. Our home address is in Jesus. Our mind is kind of there. Uh, the way we approach life is affected by that, as Lou was helpfully pointing out last week. But then in verses 8 to 9, Paul talks a lot about what we think about, doesn't it? See there? There's a whole list of things. Whatever is true, noble, whatever, whatever, whatever. Any, then right at the end, think about such things, the end of verse 8. Our mindset, what we think about, it's meant to be focused on good. Now, to an extent, we can choose, can't we, what we fill our minds with. I think that's probably true. Do you find that? Do you notice that? What you think about, you have some control over. And here Paul is saying there's lots of things that we should be thinking about. There's huge scope. There's lots of good things to kind of get into our minds. And there's a whole list of them, noble things. Right things, pure things, admirable things, etc. And that's a discipline. Something we need perhaps to learn to do. To focus our minds on, on good stuff. Not just to think too much about bad stuff. So does that mean we avoid anything that's you know, unsavory? Well, I don't think you can do that, can you? You can't live your life. You can't walk around. You can't watch anything on TV. You can't watch the news without you know, seeing anything. Well, that's not very good. So is, is Paul saying that we just got to kind of seal ourselves up in some kind of airtight capsule and only think, uh, only 
think about good things. No, I don't think that is what he's saying. It would be ridiculous. I think he's saying again is where we make our home or, or what we let kind of, you know, welcome into our minds and kind of, you know, give them a cup of tea or, you know, have a meal or whatever. You know, there are, there are some things that can come into your minds and you can say, actually, I don't need to kind of hold on to that. I need to think about something different. Do you see what I mean? You can't avoid some things, but you don't have to go back to them or you don't have to start dwelling on them. Or sometimes you can perhaps think about something kind of good that is worth thinking about, even in a situation that's a bit unsavory. I mean, it's a bit of a ridiculous example. It's a bit what I do. You, as you will know from my... Um, sometimes I love watching TV. I love drama. I love films. I love those kind of things, okay? So let's not go to TV. Let's talk about Shakespeare. Aha, Shakespeare. Let's talk about King Lear, one of the greatest plays in the English language. You know the story of King Lear? He gets his eyes gouged out and some pretty on stage. Somebody goes, uh, he goes completely mad in the middle of a, of a storm. So what do you do? Do you think, I, so King Lear, banned, that's bad, that's, you know, I mustn't have any. Well, well no, you don't, because actually there's a lot of good. It's a fantastic story. You know, you don't have to dwell on, you know, the, the evil, the violent bits because you can think, actually, the story about, about what, you know, the big theme Shakespeare's talking about. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, you could, you could watch King Lear and you can use lots of things. And if you had it on a DVD, you could keep, keep you, know, you know, scrolling back to the, the point where Gloucester gets his eyes put out or, or, or whatever. Or, or, or you can... That's part of the story. There's some nicer things in King Lear. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Where do you choose? As it were, what do you let into your mind to kind of, into your home, as it were, to be at home there? Do, I, I, does that make sense? Do you see what I mean? It's about our mindset, our attitude, that what we focus on, what's really, what's really good, thinking, what we think about. It's not just about thinking. Paul goes on to say, verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. That's interesting. That's another whatever. Whatever is good, blah, 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 whatever, all those good things, you think about those things. And then whatever you've learned, you've received or you've heard from me, in me, says Paul, you do it. So we need to do what God tells us in his word. It's about learning. That, that, that. He says, what, whatever you have learned, verse 9. That word learned is at the heart of the word that we, we get the word discipleship from. A disciple is a learner. The people who followed Jesus, they were described as learners. A disciple is someone who learns. They have an L plate on. Actually, L plate's a good example because how do you learn to drive a car? You don't just look at the theory test, do you? to get in it and drive it alongside someone who's qualified to show you. And a lot of what, 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 what we, we're to learn as believers is to be learned by doing it. You see, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice. Do it and the God of peace will be with you. Sometimes I think we, we treat the Christian life like people who you know, going to learn to drive and just look at the theory test. 
<laughs> pass the theory test many, many times, do loads of simulations, do it online so fast you can do it without even thinking about it, but never actually realize that uh, it, you know, being a follower of Jesus is about getting in the car with him and letting him show you how to live your life. And, 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 and you know, letting others within our community help us with that. It's about living, not just about knowing. So for this joy in the Lord to be sustained, we need to live it as we see it in others. So it's a life lived with others. That's why we need to be together. That's why it's good to be together. That's what church is for. It's what house groups are for. It's what serving together is all about. It's what prayer partnerships are about. It's what, what, how you, you know, when you're with your Christian friends who can help you, as, as Lou was saying a week or two back, we need to get with people who inspire us and encourage us and, and can help us to do it. Do what? Well, to live. To live forgiveness. How do we do what Jesus says about loving our enemy and forgiving people? You have to do that. How do you do that? You help each other to do that. How do you stop being selfish and, 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 and self-absorbed? Or only pushing your own agenda? Or, or not wanting to serve other people? Or serving them just so that you look good? How do you work all that out? You need a Christian friend or a house group or someone who can say, John, you know, I don't think that was quite good, you know? Are you sure you were doing that because of this reason? Or was it really about you? Only another, only you can tell me that. Well, the Holy Spirit can tell me directly, I guess, what he does. But he often tells me through other people. That's the kind of life that we should be living. How do we learn integrity, truthfulness, living righteousness, all that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount about our speaking, our thinking, our religious practices, all those things. How are we going to do those things if we're not with other people who help them to do it? Paul says, what you have heard, learned, seen uh, in me, you do. It's a challenge, isn't it? And that everything is a broad word. Whatever, rather, is a broad word, which seems to me to gather up things from the whole of our life. Every day, all of our life can be part of it. Our emotional life, our friendships, whether we're up or down, have you been doing the examine exercise through Lent? Anyone tried that? I've done it a couple of times. Do you know what I'm talking about? You can find it on the website. It's a simple little discipline. At the end of the day, you stop and you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord God, by your Spirit, draw near to me. You think about your day gratefully. What can I thank you, God, for from today? You ask a question, when through my day did I sense Jesus closer to me or did I know that connect with him? Is there one thing to pray about or to thank him for or to look forward to as I think about tomorrow? It's a simple exercise, but it brings in everything. It helps to frame our mindset. Helps us to do what we're taught. So that's a joy in the Lord because it's in the Lord. And it's for the distance. Now Paul is going to talk about how the Philippians have cared for him. But before he does that, he talks about another source of joy in in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Here's the second source of joy for the distance then. It's joy in contentment. Paul's been talking about the God of peace being with you. And now he says, look, let me show you how how that works out in my experience, he says. He says it's something I've learned. It's not been an easy thing or a quick thing. That whether I've got lots or little, (laughs) I feel the same way. That's, That's quite something, isn't it? I feel content. The idea of content is... Being feel, feeling kind of full and satisfied. He said, I, I've, I've had times in my life when I've had loads of money. And he said, I've had times in my life when I've had absolutely nothing. He said, I've had times in my life when, you know, I've, I've been free to roam, as it were, and preach and teach and all that. And I, here I am locked up in house arrest. I've had times when I've had loads to eat. And there are times when I've not been quite sure where the next meal is coming from. He says, but I've learned something. He's learned it. He said, I've learned to be content. He, he says it's almost like a secret that I've been initiated into. He uses those words. Those of you who know about the background of the New Testament, um, just a quick hint. He talks about you know, that word is like a mystery religion that you've been initiated into. He doesn't mean he's been into a mystery religion, but he's saying you know, it's like a secret that I've discovered, I've found. And what is it, he said? It's a fairly simple one, I guess. Easy to say, though. (laughs) Perhaps not so easy to do. He says, I can do it all through him who gives me strength. The Lord, he says, is with me. He says, my first awareness is that he is with me and he can strengthen me. He gives me strength. That's his first awareness. That's the first thing. The first thing he thinks about is not, am I hungry or am I you know, uh, not? Have I got enough money in the bank or not? The first thing he says is, the Lord strengthens me. The Lord is, I'm in the Lord. It's where I live. And he says, this word says that contentment and joy flow out of that. Well, that may seem strange. How does that work out? For us, as in our kind of contemporary society, it's almost unthinkable. It's almost like we, you know, what? <laughs> it is so far from our cultural experience. But I think we can get near to it. And we, and we might think, well, what if you've got a family? What if you've got in distress? What if I'm a starving person? And, okay, we don't want to kind of necessarily argue to the extremes, And it's not pretending that it's all all okay or I feel fine if I'm worried about what I'm going to eat. It's not pretending that it's easy when it's hard. But it seems to me that he is saying, I start with knowing him with me, promising to give me strength. And maybe there's a hint there for us. Do I start with the Lord? You know, does it, does it, is it worth, uh, do I kind of think about my needs and my situation to you where I say, the first thing is that the Lord is with me and will strengthen me. Whether I'm going to have enough or not, 
That's my first awareness. Now, some of us have traveled to parts of the world where people aren't living in our culture like that, and people are very, very poor. And you meet uh, believers and, and people who aren't believers for that matter, who, who do appear to be content with very little. And certainly the ones I've met in the countries I've been to, and I've been to some countries where people have very, very little. When I've met with believers, you know, they're, they're the first, their first awareness is of the Lord. It is amazing. I remember being in um, Nepal once in, in uh, a church in, in Pokhara, and there's these old, these old guys who have, have had leprosy, and they, they've got no, no hands at all. You know, they just... They sit, at the, they sit at the back of the church. They're allowed to sit on chairs because they're, they're disabled. Everyone else sits on the floor. And you go to them, and, and up, afterwards they come and they get a, put their, their hands out and, and you, know, you grasp them, and, and they're just, their awareness is of the Lord. You know, they're not saying, oh, no, I've got no hands. You know what I mean? There's this kind of, I'm just, you know, in a sense, it, it, I don't want to be, but, um, what's the word, you know, too superficial on this, but maybe there's this sense of, where do I start? What am I most aware of? That's another source of joy for the long haul. Joy in contentment. But there's something else coming. It's been running through this letter from the very beginning. There's joy in the Lord. There's joy in contentment. And there's joy in the Lord through sharing lives. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that, the, that, that more is credited to your accounts. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Aphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Joy in shared lives. Verse 10. He's full of joy because they're concerned for him. Verse, uh, it says that they share in my troubles, verse 14. You see, again, Paul is not saying, I don't have trouble. He's not saying everything's fine. Everything isn't fine. But he says, I'm full of joy because you're sharing in it with me. That word sharing is the same word for partnership, the word we get for fellowship. In verse 15, it comes up there again. In receiving and giving. You see that verse 15? Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. There's this partnership in giving and receiving. They're like shareholders, actually. That word, koinonia, uh, that this comes from, had the idea of being joint kind of uh, uh, participants, shareholders in a business as it happens. See, the Philippians have helped Paul with money. And they've been doing it right since he first left them to go on to Thessalonica back in Acts 16 and Acts 17. 
They've been doing it and they went on. But Paul makes it clear that something much bigger is happening here. Much bigger than money being given or being received. He's saying there is joy in shared life. See how much bigger it all is. Look at verse 17. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I desire credit in your account. What that, what's that about? Well, Paul is saying that as the Philippians give, there's this blessing. It's a mystery, but it's true. True for us as well. When we give, we get something from God. God blesses us. He's, he, he's involved in it, as we shall see. Just like Jesus. Jesus gave everything, didn't he? He emptied himself, we read in Philippians 2. And then what happened? God gave him the name above everything. When we give, then there's this blessing that comes to us. And Paul says, I don't worry about your gift, but I'm really pleased that you gave because you're going to get something of God's blessing on you as you share it with me. And for us, we can say, don't miss that joy in sharing, in giving. And you could give some time to someone. You could give some money to someone. You could simply welcome someone. You could do something kind for someone. You could walk across the room and talk, or across the street and talk to a lonely person or someone who doesn't know. And, and you will be blessed. Something spiritual in you will happen. Paul says, as you give, I want something to be credited in your account. More than that, sorry, more than that. Actually, the joy will come from you seeing someone else provided for. Look, that's why Paul tells him. He goes on. He says, look, it's great. I've got more than enough. I've amply amply supplied. You've made me feel full. He says, I feel like I've just eaten a fantastic meal. You know, your kindness to me, your relationship with me, your love to me, your gift to me. I'm full. Thank you. And the Philippians read this saying, whoa, great. Yeah, yeah Paul, is, Paul is really blessed by, by us. Look, we, sent it, but we saved up for Epaphroditus to go and we've given him some money. And look how pleased you can see that there's joy both ways in that. Don't miss out on that. And by the way, we need to receive as well as give, don't we? Because that way, if you receive a gift with thankfulness... You give something back. You give joy to someone else. And actually, obviously there are good times when it may not be wise. But on the whole, if you have an attitude that says, I'm never going to receive anything from anyone, you're robbing people of the opportunity to be blessed in giving to you. It's a mean thing to do, is to live life like you don't need anything from anyone else. Third thing, finally, about this. God is in it. God is present. See that in verse 18, it talks about a fragrant offering. That's the language of the Old Testament sacrifice. As we give, as we give time or whatever, as we kind of find that joy in sharing life, so God is pleased. He smiles on it. He loves it. You know, God loves it when we act like Jesus, his son. Nothing gives him greater joy. Do you want to give God that joy? Do you want God to smile on your life? Well, get sharing. He's pleased. He's pleased. But more than that, he's in it because he provides. See that? 
the end there, my God will supply all your need. That's the heart of contentment as well, isn't it? Knowing that God can supply, God can give us what we need. According to what? His riches in glory, that's a lot. In Christ Jesus, there's plenty. So there's joy for the long distance. As we share that life, uh, give uh, as we get with one another in our troubles. We can share and we can give in that. We give, we receive. We give, we receive. God is pleased. Jesus is glorified. We're joyful. He provides. There's a whole kind of virtuous circle going on there, isn't there? And as Paul signs off, he reminds them that they're part of a bigger worldwide family. Great reference to Caesar's household even. Joy in the long haul, joy for the distance, sharing the life of Jesus with others, joy in contentment, a lot or a little, knowing he gives us strength for all things, joy in the Lord, a mindset that's different, living his life, knowing him, eternal life begun now, and on beyond that day when our Savior from heaven will come and transform everything, including us. So do you know that? Do you want to come home to God? Maybe today even. We can ask him. We can ask him. We can tell him that we want to be found in him. We don't want to trust in his, our goodness, but in his death and his resurrection. We want to know him in our life because of what he's done. We want to become a citizen of heaven, rescued by a saviour who will complete it when we see him. So we can turn to him. We can ask him for this gift of eternal life. We can welcome him by his spirit into our lives and receive the gift of salvation. Maybe that's something you haven't done before or would like to. I'm going to close by just praying that with those words. If you want to, I'll pray it slowly in your own heart. If you want to, deliberately follow it and make it your prayer not just mine. Lord Jesus, I want to be found in you, not trusting in my good, but in your death and risen lordship. Because of what you have done, I want to know God in my life. I want to become a citizen of heaven, Rescued by a saviour who will complete this when I see him. So, Father God, I turn to you and ask for the gift of eternal life today. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit. I receive your gift of salvation and rescue as I put my life into your hands. In Jesus' name. Amen.